Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. This is Robert Rogers and you've just connected to Parkinson's Recovery. I have an exciting show for you today for many different reasons. First, I want to make sure that everyone who is connected here today at this time and place knows that the second edition of my book, Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease, is actually out and hot on the press. I initially released the book last year in 2010, and in March I updated everything that you'll find in the book. It's a longer book, a richer book, and it has everything that I've actually discovered through my research over the past year as an update. You can actually get information about the book by visiting the publisher page, which is lulu.com, or you can go to the website and get incredible information about all the topics that are covered and the questions that I answer that have been asked by listeners. That particular website is www.parkinsonsdisease.me. Also, an important announcement is, those of you who are probably holding off a bit, hoping there would be some kind of discount, and lo and behold, it is April, and this is the month to celebrate all persons who are recovering from the symptoms of Parkinson's. You'll be able to get $4.99, almost $5 off of the shipping cost if you order the book through Lulu, but here's the code that I need to give everyone so that you be sure and qualify for that discount. When you get to the checkout page, there's a little field that says coupon code, and what you need to enter there is April Mail 305. So that, that's April, the word April, as in the month of April, joined together with the word mail, M-A-I-L, in the number 305. No spaces between any of those two words or between mail and 305. So the book's out. I spent the last week editing the book, and so it's actually the first time I've had a full and complete read through the whole book. I have to tell everyone that I'm first of all surprised how long it took me to read the book. It's a long, detailed, full, and rich book. And second, I want everybody to know it really is enriched with everything anyone needs to know in order to be able to understand the factors that are causing symptoms associated with the diagnosis of Parkinson's disease and the many different natural, safe, and non-intrusive therapies that we have discovered are helping individuals get incredible and sustained relief from their symptoms. So that's Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. There are no secrets that are divulged in my book. If you actually listen to the radio shows over the last couple of years, the tele-seminar series I did a couple of years before that and actually read all the blog entries, you get the gist of pretty much everything that's in the book. So what I've done is I've really captured the wisdom of all the many incredible professionals that I have had as guests on my radio show, as well as individuals who have figured out wonderful solutions to be able to give them relief 
from the symptoms they are currently experiencing that are neurological in character. So Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease, second edition, is now out and off uh, the press. You can, all, of course, also order it from Amazon. And on Amazon, they are currently, perhaps also in celebration that it's Parkinson's Month, a 5% discount off of the regular print price. And, of course, downloads are available to many of you who live in other countries. I want to now talk about the two guests that I have today on my radio show. This show interview was actually conducted two years ago before I actually began doing my regular live radio programs. So I know 99% of those of you who are listening to this show today have not heard this quite incredible interview. I'm airing it today for two very important reasons and for the purpose of celebrating two important realities. The first reality is that I conducted a series of 16 different interviews in conjunction with Nancy Welsh, who's a psychotherapist from Bellingham, Washington, and is a person who is incredibly knowledgeable about meditation. We went out, and with Nancy's leadership, she identified all of the individuals in the United States who are the leaders, the movers and shakers, the people who know everything there is to know about meditation. What is it? How do you do it? What's the right way? What's the wrong way? What do you get from it? What's the benefit? What's the cost if you don't do it? You name it. These interviews talk to people who had all the answers. I really know that meditation can make a huge difference to anybody who currently experiences the symptoms of Parkinson's. And I also know it's pretty much of an esoteric kind of an area. Many people are really very unaware of what meditation is, how it works, and how you actually do it. What I convinced Nancy Welsh to do is to be a collaborator and to help me be able to identify through a book everything that people needed to know in order to be able to meditate and to get sustained relief from their symptoms. This is a way to address stress in your life, and we know that stress is directly related to the symptoms of Parkinson's disease. It's now two years later after we did those series of 15 or 16 interviews, and Nancy Welch has munched upon the wisdom in all of the interviews that were conducted, and she has now, this week, actually released her book. It's hot off the press, too, and this particular book is titled Medicine and Meditation. It's a book by Nancy Welch. If you'd like to be able to get uh, information about her book, and again, it's just been released this week, you can go to the following website. It's book medicinemeditation.com and there you'll get a rich description of all that you'll find when you actually purchase her book which really is intended for individuals who want to learn everything they need to know to be able to get on board with having a regular, a sustained and a very effective meditation practice. So we're basically converting the esoteric nature of meditation for people so that you can really understand what it takes to be able to have a powerful and a useful and a healing meditation practice. 
This particular interview, then, is one of 14 or 15 that we actually engaged uh, in the effort of facilitating the writing of Nancy Welsh's book, Medicine and Meditation. And this particular interview is with one of the individuals who you will see featured in the book, Darlene Cohen. She's a very uh, famous author of a book titled Turning Suffering Inside Out. Darlene experienced uh, significant pain and discomfort from arthritis, and you'll hear a discussion between Darlene and Nancy, who also experiences these very same challenges. So some of this discussion is essentially tied to the challenge of individuals who have those aches and pains that are associated with uh, an arthritic kind of a condition. But because these particular interviews were also focused on individuals with Parkinson's, you will hear in the latter part of this interview some dazzling suggestions that you can implement today that will make a huge difference in terms of being able to direct your attention to the places that are going to be in your best and highest good. It's it's really, I listened to the interview yesterday in preparation for the show today. I did some editing, and obviously I had to take out some dated uh, material. But it is, I want to say to each and every one of you, an incredible interview. And it's well worth spending the time today to listen to this hour uh, program. I also want to point out that both Nancy Welsh and Darlene Coleman are from a Zen meditation approach. So sometimes when they're talking about sitting on a cushion, they're talking about that lotus kind of a position that you see in Zen types of retreats. Um, and that's only one form of meditation. There are many, many different forms of meditation, as uh, Nancy very eloquently illustrates in her now newly released book, Medicine and Meditation. So we're celebrating the release of Nancy Welsh's book today, which is available in print form as well as in download form. And we're also celebrating the life of Darlene Cohen. Darlene actually died of cancer in January 11th in 2011, a, a very sad occasion for, for many, many, many thousands of individuals who attended her classes and were touched by her wisdom. So we're celebrating Darlene Cohen's life today, and you will hear as you listen to her discuss the issues of pain and suffering and chronic illness and the ways that she's been able to figure out how she could live a viable and exciting and an energizing life, you'll discover that she is indeed a truly remarkable person that everyone who has been touched by her will now uh, regret very deeply. So we celebrate her life, the life of Darlene Cohen, author of the best-selling book, Turning Suffering Inside Out. Again, this is Robert Rogers. You're connected to Parkinson's Recovery. And now what I'm going to do is play the first of two segments of this interview that was actually conducted two years ago. Again, not on my radio show, but on a teleseminar series that I actually was doing before the radio show was launched two years ago. So here is Darlene Cohen now 
uh, who author of Turning Suffering Inside Out. I'll do an introduction, as you will soon hear about her, and Nancy Well, psychotherapist and a person who knows everything there is to know about meditation uh, from Bellingham, Washington. Darlene Cohen is a Zen priest and Dharma heir in the Zukumi Roshi lineage. She's head priest. Ah. I'm revealing my ineptitude in this particular area. Uh, uh, she is head. Familiar with with uh, with Zen in America, I take it. No, no. Well, I'm getting a good education because I'm um, piggybacking on. Uh, all of Nancy's wonderful work and interviewing uh, many famous uh, persons like you who are giving us all this wisdom. You work with Parkinson patients, is that so? That's right. The audience uh, that's really listening here live to this discussion are individuals who are interested in everything that they can do to be able to get relief from the symptoms of Parkinson's. Do you have Parkinson's yourself? I do not uh, have the symptoms of Parkinson's. My mother was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and she died about nine years ago. And my uncle, as we speak, has a very advanced stage of Parkinson's. So I have many different reasons for having a passion to be able to to do this work at Parkinson's Recovery. Well, thank you for your work. I'm very glad that someone is doing that. I have a very close friend. My immediate teacher, Michael Wenger, has Parkinson's. I had a very good friend at Green Gulch Farm who died of Parkinson's. Green Gulch is uh, one of the Zen centers in the um, Bay Area. It's a beautiful retreat center. And uh, I'm sorry, you said he recently died? Yes, Michael Sawyer. Uh, yes. yes, he's Norman Fisher's uh, person that Norman talked about, I believe, right. uh, yes. at a previous That's interview. Right. So let me let me finish my uh, introduction of Darlene here, and then be yes, sure that I introduce the other voice on the phone that many of you probably don't uh, know know where that's from. Uh, Darlene is the author of three books on living with chronic pain and catastrophe, and the titles of those books are Arthritis. Stop Suffering, Start Moving. There's also a book entitled Turning Suffering Inside Out. Third book, A Zen Approach to Pain. And also, the one who... I'm sorry, Robert. Uh, That second book is Turning Suffering Inside Out, A Zen Approach to Pain. That's the whole name of the book, rather than two books. And then there's also a book uh, titled The One Who Is Not Busy. And Darlene has taught at medical facilities and Dharma centers for many years. What I want to now do is uh, introduce Nancy Welsh. Nancy is a mental health counselor from Bellingham, Washington, who is coming out uh, this spring with a book uh, titled Medicine and Meditation. We, as individuals who are interested in finding everything we can do to help with the symptoms of Parkinson's, uh, are privileged to be able to join Nancy today in her discussion and interview and questioning of Darlene Cohen. So let me now turn over the discussion to Nancy Welsh. Thank you so much, Nancy, for being here. Oh, thank you, Robert. I know that from actually reading your books and um, finding great them a great source of inspiration myself, having um, had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis that has never gone into remission and 
continues into my 50s, and they still call it juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. Really? Is it a whole different process? Is uh, that why? The, well, a bit. Um, of course, there's much longer-term destruction of the joints, and uh, yes. there are some medicines, evidently, uh, we're just finding out because I'm, my doctors and I are going through different trial medications. What I've been on has not worked. There are some that actually address specifically JRA or juvenile rheumatoid that do not work with with adult rheumatoid for some oh, reason. Oh, really? Yes. The biologics, you mean? Yes, the biologics such as Kineret. Kineret is a is a self injection drug you give yourself every day, and it's been known to work with juvenile rheumatoid, but has not been of much help to adult onset rheumatoid, and mm. and the doctors don't know why. It's just um, so evidently fascinating. It is, and there's a, a good friend of mine who's also put a chapter in our book, uh, Lee Nelson, who is a researcher at Fred Hutchinson uh, University of Washington Center, and she her whole focus is on juvenile rheumatoid conditions and scleroderma. You know, one of the arthritic conditions that is also can be fatal, fatal in the way that, as, as you said, your friend died from Parkinson's, and so she was able to give us some uh, some medicine information on it. Yeah, was, I don't know if you heard that talk, but perhaps you'd be interested in reading it when this comes out, uh, because she is I really would. looking at the fact that uh, juvenile seems to be somehow genetic from from uh, mother to child, generation after generation, although they're not quite sure. They haven't isolated the exact connection. She's written many articles, one uh, most recently in Scientific America on what's called microchimerism, which means you carry the cells of your mother and your mother carries your cells forever. Even though as you age they, they deplete in number, they're in, a, in effect you carry generations of cells within you, which uh, Lee and I both found fascinating in terms of the interconnectedness of then that, you know, yeah. there, really is, there really is no difference. But if you would talk a little bit about your experience when you you were pretty, my understanding is you were a pretty healthy young woman um, studying at the Zen Center when you were suddenly laid low with rheumatoid arthritis. Do I have that right? Yes, that's right. I, it began in my seventh year of Zen practice. My mom had it. So, uh, but, but the two of us are the only ones in our in the family, so, uh, you know, it may be, have some sort of the process that you were discussing of mother to child and yeah. child to mother, I don't know, mm-hmm. because it certainly isn't in anyone else in the family on either side, but the two of us uh, have it, she, she had it, so it began in my seventh year of Zen practice, but the odd thing is, when I first started sitting, at the very beginning, I would swell up. All my joints would swell up. But, you know, I was a young woman in my late 20s, and so it would just go away as soon as I stopped sitting. Like if I sat for five days, I would be quite swollen for five days. And the way I handled that is I just wouldn't eat. I just ate very little, so there was very little for my body to process. Uh-huh. And, uh, and that, that helped with the swelling. Yes, it helps tremendously. Fasting is, has probably been the most effective thing I've ever done for my rheumatoid arthritis, but, uh, of course, it's no way to live, so I don't do it uh, very often. I used to do it once a week, 
Anyway, it began in my seventh year of Zen practice, and as the disease progressed, I became an invalid for about a year. And it was lucky that I lived at the San Francisco Zen Center because um, volunteers did everything for me, cooked my meals and cleaned my room and washed my hair and did my laundry and took care of my three-year-old son. I couldn't do anything for myself because of my pain and weakness. Even changing my posture in bed was a dramatic event. Mm -hmm. And when I had to get up to go to the bathroom, it it was like going on safari. Uh um, That's a good way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I would, you know, think, oh, I have to go to the bathroom and then prepare for about 15 or 20 minutes to get my weight onto my feet and legs. But I had already been practicing for seven years when that happened to me. So, And as I say, other people took care of me. So I uh, began to figure out how to get better. And as it turned out, my Zen meditation training was a very great help to me. Could you talk I a little had, bit about that, how that how that specifically was helpful? Because um, one, one of the questions that's come up for for Robert from from the uh, patients he works with over and over is, how can I meditate when my body won't cooperate? And obviously you're talking about... Well, you have to meditate with the body you have. Of course you can't, you know, Uh throw yourself into half lotus and sit for (laughs) five hours without moving. I mean, that's ridiculous. No, that sounds Um, like death to me. (laughs) So I have developed developed, uh, alternative postures in my book, Turning Suffering Inside Out, there's a whole chapter on different postures, and I've taught people in wheelchairs to meditate. I've taught people with chronic back pain and arthritis. So uh, Vicki Austin, who's a wonderful yoga teacher at Zen Center, she used to be the president of Zen Center, she and I developed some lying down postures that have the same elements of alertness that uh, the full lotus position has. So uh, those are in my book, Turning Suffering Inside Out, and it, people call me from all over the country, you know, commenting on those and telling me how they've developed uh, those postures to their body. And a, a uh, student of mine who has very bad back pain, she can't sit for even five minutes, mm-hmm. on, you know, sitting up, mm-hmm. she and I have developed a little booklet which we'll uh, soon publish and send to all the Zen centers in the country in the hopes that uh, people uh, with particular physical problems will not any longer think that that meditation is confined to a particular posture. I mean, there are certain conditions that have to be met, like a straight spine Uh and uh, alertness. You know, usually the trouble with lying on your back is you fall asleep, but we've, we've built some some things into the posture which keep you awake. Yes, I've I've read about that, and it it is very effective. I I remember, oh, when I first started practicing, it was extremely painful. I did try, I call it competitive zen now. I I knew I couldn't do lotus or even half lotus, but, you know, I would try to sit in a Burmese uh, position where, you know, your legs don't actually cross, but your knees are definitely folded and you're sitting upright and, um, 
I was I was miserable. And the first time I, I met my guiding teacher, Norman Fisher, I had probably been sitting for about a year, and uh, the first time I had an individual interview with him about how my practice was going, I, I just burst into tears and said, I can't do this. I, this isn't for arthritics. Well, I'm astonished you did it for a year. I, you must be a very dedicated reincarnation of a of a llama or something. <laughs> well, thank you. We we did have a, a wonderful man up at um, as our shoe sewer, our head student last year, John Bales, who said, uh, "Oh, I know John McCurty," because <laughs> I I I often do my meditation lying down, and that's what Norman told me that he said, well, for Pete's sake, lie down. And I thought, that's okay. <laughs> and he said, of course, the idea is focus on your breathing. But let, why don't you talk some more about how how you meditate and what how that works for you, if you wouldn't mind. Well, I, you know, never had an easy body ever, but I was able to get into half lotus and sit for long periods of time. It just was always very, very painful. Mm-hmm. Um, I, even before I had arthritis, you know, I just have a, a very stiff, tight body, and I always did. I took dancing as a child and was terrible at it. You know, the teacher was always saying, you know, commenting that I couldn't do the splits or I couldn't do this mm-hmm. or that. So I think I just had a body that was destined to become arthritic, mm-hmm. and even though I was very athletic. So... um after I I didn't sit, as I say, uh, I developed rheumatoid arthritis my seventh year of Zen practice, but I didn't sit for about five years. And I did instead a meditation on movement that I invented. I imagine uh, it's been invented many, many times before me, but it's... Uh, system which uh, I've actually um, teach quite a bit now to people who have trouble sitting and who probably shouldn't sit still. It's uh, you lay on your back and you do tiny little movements, very meditative movements. I do this uh, during all the sashims that I lead for, for ordinary people, people who don't have trouble sitting, as well as very good. I just wanted to explain. Uh, I'm sorry, Darlene. I just wanted to explain. A session is a um, a retreat that that is usually several days, so it's pretty intensive. And and uh, in in Zen language, it's called a session or session. It can also uh, we also call it a retreat, where you just just completely leave your sort of regular life behind and you focus on on meditating. Is is that a good way to put it? Yes. Thank you, Nancy. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I I later found out that that uh, there's a whole system of these little movements from the same point of view that I teach them. I have a master's in neurophysiology, so I always saw these little movements as neuro neurological. In other uh-huh. words, the brain teaching parts of the body how to move, which is how I recovered from my uh, being an invalid. Was I just gradually taught parts of my body, how to do movements that they couldn't do before. Um, And I found out that there's a whole system called Feldenkrais movement Mm -hmm. that I seem to have invented as well. Uh, But when I started uh, talking to Feldenkrais practitioners, they 
they just are so they're so uh, advanced in understanding neurological uh, movement and the fact that if you're a person in a great deal of pain, that the first step is to relax the nervous system. And so it turned out that's what was what was I what I was intuitively doing with my little movements, and I did those instead of Zazen for about five years. And then I was invited back to Zen Center to teach. And I said to uh, Michael Wenger and Blanche Hartman, uh, who invited me back in to teach, I said, I can't teach Zazen. And they said, well, this is 20th century America. You can teach anything you want. (laughs) (laughs) So I... I discovered I could teach Zazen, and not only could I teach Zazen, but I seemed to have developed over that time that I was an invalid a very deep understanding of the physical mechanics of Zazen. I mean, if you can just sit down and plop your body into a full lotus, you don't have to understand Zazen. Um, But since I had to uh, develop all these alternative postures, I uh, developed a very subtle understanding of the body's participation. So currently I sit in a chair, which uh, right there, you you may know, Nancy, right there is such a difficult way to sit meditation, but it's frequently the only way that many people can. Right. And every place you... Yeah, every place you go, it's a different chair, so you're always reinventing it. Yeah, so, so I usually bring a, a back uh, support cushion. Uh, so many uh, Western chairs are built for some reason with a back leaning backwards, which is yes, not at all encouraging of a straight spine. And so I, I um, although I understand, you know, with, with, with practice and more discipline, one can, of course, learn to hold their spine up um, when I think of how little babies sit, you know, they're just so naturally, they sit on the floor with their little feet crossed and their backs are just in perfect alignment. And mm-hmm. it's so lovely to see. And it's only, unfortunately, as we grow and, and perhaps get used to these strange chairs that encourage us to slump that um, we start losing our that natural, just, I, I believe if a baby does it, it's a natural posture for a human being to be in. You know, if 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 they're illness-free, you know, just a nice, comfortable, straight spine, and so, so some I I usually use some kind of support pillow because, like you say, every chair is different. Very rarely are they do they encourage a straight spine. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So I usually get around that by either uh, sitting on the edge of the chair, so my feet are solidly on the floor, which mm-hmm. I I think is absolutely essential for chair sitting that you you have your feet solidly supported uh, you know however you accomplish that another thing like during a long sitting like seven days or so so that I can sit back and have my back supported I'll put a cushion under my feet mm-hmm. on the floor mm-hmm. so that uh, you know I can have that support over a long period of time right sort of uh, lift shift the pelvis a little bit, uh, which I've done too. It sort of gives a bit of relief there to lower back. And... Yes, and you don't, another thing you have to be careful of in a chair 
is you don't want your legs hanging down on the seat or it'll cut off the circulation. Right. Yes. And luckily I was born tall as well as arthritic, and so, <laughs> so um, there's rarely a chair that I can't meet the floor with my feet. <laughs> well, you are lucky with that because I was born very short, and it's rarely a chair that my feet will touch the floor. Uh, that's, so that's so I do funny. Have to... Sometimes I just feel my knees are almost like up at my chin. <laughs> so, yeah. Darlene, when you said that you invented this uh, approach of using little movements that rejuvenated your neurological system, people with the symptoms of Parkinson's are going to be fascinated by that. What exactly do you mean when you say that you began to do little movements as I was lying down? Well, I think, of course, this is physical and experiential that people actually have to do them, and I I would just refer people to a Feldenkrais class or uh, my my book, Turning Suffering Inside Out, has many, many of those movements as well as my arthritis book, of mm-hmm. course. In the arthritis book, there actually uh, there's actually a whole section on neurological movements. But what yeah, it, it is... It comes with a CD, doesn't it, as well? That you can uh, there are, it doesn't come with it, but there's two CDs you can order as well as the books on my website. Right, okay. Because, yes, I've, I've seen them both. I've looked through them both or and, listened to them. And one of, the, one of the CDs called Meditation on Movement is 50 minutes of the little movement. Is it, so are you saying it's rather individualistic? Each person has to sort of start from the basis of your philosophy and then work it to their own body? Um, not really. These are these movements are so small that actually anybody can do them, and I think they they can generalize pretty easily. I'm just saying that I don't think it's a good use of our time for me to start describing how they work on the on the program. A person is much better off either reading my book or going to a, a local Feldenkrais class. Great. We'll be right back with Darlene Cohen and Nancy Welsh after this short station break. I'm Robert Rogers from Parkinson's Recovery. My guests today are Darlene Cohen, author of Turning Suffering Inside Out, and Nancy Welsh, author of the just-released-this-week book, Medicine and Meditation. Darlene made a reference to Feldenkrais, Those of you who are interested in obtaining more information about Feldenkrais can find it in two places. The first place is here on the radio show page. I interviewed Irene Pasternak several months ago. She gives an eloquent explanation of what Feldenkrais is all about and even does and guides you through an actual Feldenkrais treatment. Be sure to listen to that program if you'd like to be able to get more information about Feldenkrais. There are also two videos that I have posted on the Parkinson's Recovery blog with featuring Irene, first of all, explaining what Feldenkrais is all about. And also, Irene was actually working with an individual who attended the Parkinson's Recovery Summit that we held in March in Vancouver, Washington. 
check out the blog. You can get there by going to the main website, parkinsonsrecovery.com, and you'll see a link to the blog. Click there. You'll have to scroll down. I've posted a number of videos from the summit, but Irene, you'll find, is uh, going to be posted several weeks ago. Nancy Welch's book, Meditation and Medicine and Meditation is amazing in all respects. What does it do for you if you're interested in actually reading it? Free yourself from the relentless thoughts of the past and the future. Learn to experience each current moment of your life to its fullest. You will hear my guest discuss ways of accomplishing that in the next segment of this show. Realize how learning to be mindfully present with each moment improves your ability to problem solve, to be basically more productive. Why am I so interested in making sure that you know as much as possible about meditation? The answer is that I have discovered through my research that stress has a direct and a profound impact on the symptoms. When individuals are stress-free, symptoms basically are inconsequential or non-existent. question is, how do you become stress-free? This is an avenue to be able to teach yourself to go into that state of mindfulness and peace. It means that the more you can be in a meditative state, day in and day out, moment to moment, you're not going to be having many problems with symptoms and you're not going to have to be worrying about pursuing therapies to be able to address your symptoms. Her book, Medicine and Meditation, explains what you need to know in order to be able to begin to adopt a regular meditation practice, whatever that might look like. Experience the peace that comes with accepting what is rather than what you wish it were. Discover that meditation is not about sitting like a stone boot. It really has nothing to do with that. Rather, the book really will help you find a way of meditating that is right for you. You're able to, in this particular book, receive multiple perspectives on the advantages of mindfulness. And this is a word that basically means being present in the moment. It's a practice that's actually becoming mainstream in medicine, psychology, and even in education. Why don't we transfer the wisdom of this from her book over to addressing the challenges of symptoms associated with Parkinson's disease. Understand that in this book, really, what others are referring to when they speak of mindfulness. Again, something that you're going to hear discussed in the next segment of this historic interview. Understand that the boundaries of our own control within the world and to know that we can intercede and when we cannot. In other words, accept the reality of where we are at and what we can do in the world. Robert Rogers, Parkinson's Recovery. Nancy's book is titled Medicine and Meditation, and you can obtain more information about her just-released book by visiting the website www.medicinemeditation.com. And now back to the second and final segment of my pre-recorded interview as of two years ago with author Darlene Cohen and author Nancy Welch. One of the the questions from some of the members of Robert's Parkinson's 
website has written a question, um, and it's uh, Earth uh, Zebra from Sydney, Australia. Forgive me if I did not pronounce your name right, but um, this person says, how can I best manage my time, my marriage, helping with household, medication, meditation, moving, and all with so little strength? Uh, you, you did mention you had help, but still, you had a three-year-old son, and he's going to want you, <laughs> as I understand children more than anybody else. So how, how did you, how would you respond to that person? Well, first of all, you have to, uh, I think it's very important when you're ill and when you're living with other people like a family mm-hmm. um, that you be as, that you do what makes you happy. That is the most important thing because you need to, if you are debilitated and weak and in pain, you have to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you will just have a miserable existence because uh, it's hard for other people to relate to you since you're so slow and weak. It's very hard for you to relate to other people who, because our culture puts such an emphasis on speed and acquisition. Mm-hmm. So uh, this, in my family, my husband and my young son, it was very important that I pay a lot of attention to my pleasure. And so uh, I I did the, the things that needed to be done, of course, taking care of my son and, and um, you know, the household thing uh, and very slowly and with a, with a great deal of patience. Uh, my arthritis book is how to do housework and dress yourself um, from the point of view of being totally submerged in that activity so that that activity is deeply satisfying. I describe washing the dishes and folding laundry, smelling laundry, you know, Mm -hmm. when you fold it and washing dishes, feeling the soapy water on my arthritic hands was very important to me that I enjoy these tasks because otherwise you just, are going to have a very miserable kind of existence. And people all, as I said, people already are kind of um, not including you in things. So mm-hmm. so you have to, so if you don't get everything done, it's more important that you do what you do uh, with great joy. And I think the only way you can do that is to do it with your full attention. You're talking about very mindfully doing each movement, whatever it is. Yes, which is... Well, I always tell clients uh, and students, when when you have a chronic disease or a debilitating disease, there are two arenas that you have to work in. One is you you have to do all the research, see the doctors, do alternative therapies. In other words, you have to do something to stop your pain or or stop the progress of your disease. Look, you know, go on the Internet, do everything you can to stop it. But the second thing that you have to do is at the same time practice meditation and mindfulness to cultivate the mind that is willing 
to live with your situation for the rest of your life. I know sometimes sometimes that uh, feels almost like a, 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 a lifelong prison sentence to people in in my psychotherapy practice because many of the physicians here in town know that I have um, experience, of course, with chronic illness and I enjoy working with other people and children with, you know, who are going through the same so that I can, you know, um, give them hope that, you know, their life isn't isn't going to be a, a prison sentence of, of, of pain, you know, for the rest of their lives and yet sometimes it's very hard to convince people of that when they feel so weak and well you can't convince anybody of anything that way <laughs> uh, you can only point point to something that might help them and then they they make their own decisions you know yeah. would you rather live a miserable life or would you rather with the situation you have have the most joyful life you can possibly have i mean for me I was bound and determined and still am bound and determined to enjoy my life. That is number one for me. So, of course, uh, since I'm very limited in what I can do, I just make sure that the things I do I enjoy. And so these are all skills. This is not something you know intuitively. They are all skills that have to be cultivated and uh, there are specific skills that are developed by medication that I think are crucial to just having a life that you love, even if you have chronic pain and illness. And if you'd like me to uh, to enumerate those skills, I'd be very happy to do it. Please, yes. I, as I said, I don't think you you know this intuitively, so I think you have to cultivate skills and. One of them is being able to focus at will. And this is uh, anyone who does breath meditation. Uh, You know, Vipassana meditation knows this one. This is you follow your breath, and whenever your mind wanders away from your breath, you gently bring it back. So over time, your mind learns to focus at will. You can focus on what you want to focus on. And the reason this is so important is because if you're in pain, pain is such a compelling object of focus that if you have not cultivated the ability to focus at will, pain will just hijack your consciousness over and over. You won't be able to do anything besides think about your pain. That's a great word, hijack. I love it. So you have to learn to focus at will. Uh And breath meditation, I don't know anything better than breath meditation practice to do that. And that's that's what um, I also learned in, um, yes, my Zen Zen practice was just following your breath and counting your breath, one from ten, and then start over and really feel the breath going through your body, and as soon as you realize you're at 140 and you're actually thinking about the laundry, <laughs> you, you go, oops, let's go back to one. And that's sort of what, it sounds like that's what you're talking about. You just really, yeah. really focus and you don't beat yourself up if you lose track because that's not helpful. You just go back to, You oops. just go back. I think of it like 
uh, paper training a puppy. <laughs> you just kept, keep putting the puppy back on the paper. Right. Of course, you never hit the puppy or scold the puppy. The puppy eventually learns. And then the second skill, again, I think of shikantaza, uh, the Zen meditation practice of just sitting and allowing a panoramic focus um, is the second skill. And this is, I think this is actually essential to the art of living, is being able to include everything, not having a preference for, you know, one string of thought over another string of thought, but just including everything. So this is like, uh, I still, to this day, I never enter a room without looking around at the room and seeing what in this room will comfort and soothe me. And, of course, handmade objects, you know, handmade vases or a wooden room or, or uh, you know, a quilt, a handmade throw, a comfortable chair. Yes, yeah. uh-huh. light coming in in a certain way. Um, even a hospital room. Now, you have to look pretty closely for hospital rooms, uh, but... You know, sometimes there's a nice view out the window and there's certainly pillows and things like that. And you have to, uh, you know, not compare it with other rooms. Just mm-hmm. be in the room you're in. But this ability to include everything is the second skill. And I Without think judgment. that... Mm-hmm. Yes. And that leads eventually to the refinement of consciousness. Uh, it enriches your pleasure in life exponentially. And the way... Yeah, sounds like it would. The way that I usually explain that is that um, if you can think of ten things that you're conscious of at any particular time, um, that's ten things. Um... Let's see, how can I describe this best? I describe it in my book. Let me try to remember how how I describe it. This uh, refinement of consciousness. It is that if you can think of, if you can notice ten things, and let's say you're, Right now, you're noticing the sound of my voice. You're noticing, you know, that you're sitting on a chair. You're noticing um, that's the sound in the background. You're noticing what you see out of your eyes and so on. You can get to ten things pretty quickly, right? Right. But if pain is one of those things, that's too much. Uh, That's pain one out of ten will hijack your consciousness every time. I mean, the other nine things can't possibly offset the compelling quality of pain. But if you uh, begin to include in your meditation all the things that occur to you, and you can begin to notice on a pretty consistent basis a hundred things, like more subtle things, the shadows of things, as well as the objects, and so on. 
mm-hmm. the animal presence, the sound of the air conditioner, you know, the, the difference, the temperature differences between one side of your body and another, mm-hmm. the brush of your clothes against your skin. So you notice a hundred things, and pain is one of those hundred things. That's a pain you can bear. Mm-hmm. And that's what I mean about uh, refining your consciousness. Right. It makes so much sense to not let pain be the primary focus because um, for those of you who aren't real familiar with Zen philosophy, um, in a sense all things are equal. Pain is pain and, and the sunlight is the sunlight and the shadows are the shadows. And if you can give equal attention, you'll find there are so many things you can let come in and out of your sensory perception that will um, be amazing if you let them. Um, I know I know you know my guiding teacher, Norman Fisher, he often says, you know, let your thoughts just be clouds. Let your feelings be clouds that just pass through an open sky. And one of those clouds can be pain. It might be a dark cloud. It might be a big dark cloud that hangs around a while and at the same time it will pass and there's so many other clouds that can pass along with it like you say the play of light and shadows the beauty of the wood the texture of the curtains um, so many I mean just look around right now I I see a little (laughs) funny little turtle that I brought back from Hawaii whose head bobs and (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that kind a little of tiny Buddha I set on my computer to remind me to always be mindful. And <laughs> yeah, so that's what I mean about enriching your life exponentially. Your consciousness just gets more refined. Mm-hmm. So I'm talking about experiencing things on the level of the satisfaction you feel when you consciously put a cup on a table. You know, the flat surface is meat. Mm-hmm. This is a rare and satisfying kind of experience. So it's the minutia of everyday life, but now you're noticing it. Yeah. Mostly we just notice things that, you know, like if we're hungry, we notice where the food is, and if we're, you know, lonely, we notice where the people are. But this, but I'm talking about noticing and observing everything all the time. Yeah. Really open mindfulness without getting caught in each thing and yet allowing each thing to be present somehow. Yes. Yeah. Being exactly here, the category Roshi puts it. Could you say that again, please? Being exactly here. Yes. (laughs) I, I do have a question. You said that it is important to look at the medical aspect of your condition and make sure you understand and and do what you can do. Um, What have you or do you have medicine to help sometimes or what's your thought on that? Um, Well, when I got rheumatoid arthritis in the late 70s, they offered me a, a bunch of medicines that I did not, was not interested in because I was only 35 years old. I didn't think I could take prednisone or, um, gee, I've forgotten the name of some of those things, some some medicine that affects your eyes over time. And, 
everything. Oh, Plaquenil. Plaquenil, right. <laughs> yeah. And they, they, my doctor was very honest, and I really appreciated it. He said, we don't have anything that won't destroy your liver and kidneys over time. Mm-hmm. He said, so you can probably only take these medicines for 10 years or so, and hopefully by then we'll have developed something else. And I thought, well, if in 10 years I'm going to have to go off these medicines, I might as well not start. So I always, uh, so I didn't. I never took arthritis medicine until I was 60. Mm-hmm. When I was, by the time I was 60, old age had really caught up with my my own efforts to uh, to handle this disease without medicine. I, uh, you know, what I was doing before was doing movement, you know, these little neurological exercises and also swimming four, four times a week and walking every day. And I would say that my self-help program was like a, almost like a part-time job. Boy, it sounds like it. It sounds really good, too. Oh, it's yes. Really I a discipline. have always, oh, health, have always been in great health uh, for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it has all these wonderful side effects, like I didn't have to wear glasses anymore after a while, and I had had a, I was hypothyroid before I developed rheumatoid arthritis, and after I started doing these exercises, my thyroid became normal. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, except for rheumatoid arthritis, <laughs> I was great. But at 60, old age was really catching up, and I was slowing down, and I figured out I would probably have to do three or four hours of exercise a day to really Mm. keep up with the disease. So I said to my uh, rheumatologist, whom I went to once a year, you know, to check out what was going on, he threatened many times to stop being my doctor because he was so frustrated that I wouldn't ever take medicine, but... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Finally, at 60, I went in and said, okay, what have you got? Because I'm ready for it. <laughs> and he said, well, I got this uh, these biologics, Remicade, he said, and Enbrel. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, do they wreck your liver and kidneys? And he said, well, they they do a lot of terrible things to very few people. He said, you may not be one of those people. And I said, well... I'll give it a try, and I started taking Remicade. And what a miracle. I was so happy with that drug. Um, it really made made me feel like I didn't have rheumatoid arthritis. And, oh, and everyone commented on it, um, on how I was just moving around. And, you know, I had always hiked, but the way I hiked, if I went with a friend, they would hike ahead of me and come back, hike ahead again and come back, hike ahead again and come back, you know, like a dog will run ahead of you and come back. <laughs> that sounds like because, a lot of fun. <laughs> because I was so slow, you know. I'm willing to hike and I love to hike and all that, but I'm uh-huh. not really the best companion for it. But still, people, very compassionate people would go out hiking with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and even dancing, you know, I would go dancing and stuff like that. I mean, it's probably not the most pleasant thing to watch me dance, but <laughs> anyway, the, the 
Remicade made such a difference that I could keep up with people. I Oh, nobody could believe this. My uh-huh. husband, who's walked with me down to the post office and all around the city for years, could not believe it. He could just do his normal pace, and I kept up. So that was great. We, are you able to continue on that? or? No, I had to stop when I got cancer because uh, um, right. I actually... Now, you know, there are no statistics on this, according to my rheumatologist, but I actually think since uh, Remicade and Enbrel both um, suppress the part of the immune system that prevents tumors, mm-hmm. I actually think that if, they, if Remicade did not cause my tumor, that it at least enabled it. Mm-hmm. And so I did have to and now I have chemotherapy, which suppresses the immune system. And though it's not as effective as Remicade, it does keep my arthritis in check. You have such a positive attitude given what you've had to deal with for so many years. Not only arthritis, then to be slapped with cancer as well. It's really unfair. <laughs> I find it quite annoying. Yes. <laughs> There's times I want to shake my fist at, you know, the sky, wherever. Uh, I was raised Catholic, so I still sort of have a little bit of a a God thing in me, and I just want to rail and say, why? And then I I shut up because I know there's a reason, and I just have to be quiet. (laughs) Well, in my case, I think that um, I'm not so sure there's a reason, but I've got to say, of all the people... Uh, that I personally know to have all this happen to them, I'm probably the best person because I am very disciplined and I have a tremendous amount of vi- vitality. Oh, it sure so. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if any if this had to happen to anybody, I'm probably the best adapted. You know, there's there's one other question that that came in uh, from. A woman in in Pasadena, Maryland, named Rose uh, Zweck. I hope I'm saying Who knew there was a Pasadena, Maryland? I I know. I almost wrote California until I checked, but it's Pasadena, Maryland. Is that correct, Robert? I assume so. Okay. Um, She says that she has Parkinson's, and she suffers, it sounds a lot like what, what we struggle with, stiffness and pain. And she says, how can I relieve these symptoms? I also have pain in my feet with uh, fine motor movement difficulty when walking. What mm-hmm. would you suggest? Now, that, that seems to perhaps go right into what you were talking about with these kind of micro-movements. What, I think the micro-movements would be very good for her. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that I've learned is, you know, nobody likes to do exercises. Uh, you just... In order to actually have a regular exercise uh, time that you do, you know, at least four times a week or something like that, you really have to do movements that, A, you enjoy doing while you're doing them, and, B, they make you feel better afterwards. I, I never could have done mine that I have done steadily for 35 years every day um, if they if I didn't enjoy them so much, 
Uh-huh. And if I didn't feel so much better afterwards, you know that RA is the worst in the morning. Oh, yes. <laughs> I mean, I just barely get to the toilet. You know, now that I don't have Remicade to help and all, I just barely get to the toilet, and then I get to my exercise room, you know, and put down my mat and, you know, lower myself onto the floor, and then I start doing them. And and within a half hour, you know, I'm a different person psychologically as well, and I've learned that the side effects of these exercises, because they're neurologically based, if I have am in a snit about something, if I'm mad at somebody or mad over some event or inconvenience or whatever, by the time I'm finished with my exercises, I'm emotionally restored as well because it's that little bit of space, you know. It must be similar to somebody sitting in a cafe drinking their coffee, reading, you know, the funny pages or something. I mean, it must be that kind of space where you just are enjoying yourself and you feel no pressure. I used to answer the phone during my exercises um, just to see how that affected them, and I don't do that anymore. It's, it's just really good to have uh, to have that time, just be feeling my body and feeling it relaxed. Right, and not so, have not have this compulsion to sort of follow our Western culture of, oh, the phone's ringing, I must answer. That That's something that's come up in, in some of my classes, you know, so um, that I've taught up here in Bellingham, people, you know, looking at, you know, how to slow. It sounds like I, I haven't read your third book. I want to immediately about being um, busy or too busy um, because this, it's such a busy culture, and I used to feel like if the phone rang, whatever I had to do, I must answer it. And I've learned that that's not true. If even somebody rings the doorbell, I do not have to answer it. It is not some. It, there well, is not, you know, I get so many phone calls that I have to limit them to two hours a day. I only answer my phone two hours a day, and um, I I used to coincide that with my exercise just to try to save time, but it doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it sounds like your your books would really be useful for not only arthritics, but people with, with all kinds of chronic pain. I, you know, you mentioned you have to work with the body you have, and I, and I know from talking with Robert and, and hearing the questions of, the people from his website, they often feel that, well, how can I meditate when I can't stop trembling? Or um, Then you do trembling meditation. It's very easy. Uh-huh. And I mean, go if you're going to do meditation, you have to do the meditation that you do that comes from your own body. And, and accept that and, and be okay with it. Just accept it that this is how I do it. I know well, if you're not okay with it, uh, you're really setting up a pretty miserable situation. I love, I love your sense of the point of life is to enjoy life no matter what. I, I, uh, you know, I really think that's the only way you can help other people is be an example of, especially in this culture right now, mm-hmm. uh, as I say, that so emphasizes acquisition and speed 
to actually be an example of someone who lives for something else and the pure joy of being alive, I don't think you can help people better than that. No, that, I, yeah, that's beautiful. I just, I forget that sometimes. As long as I've lived with this and as much as I've practiced meditation and even teach classes on, on working with meditation and pain, I still sometimes forget and feel that I must do more, I must be quicker, I must be um, uh, all of, you know, the usual smarter, better, faster. Well, of course, you know, (laughs) there's so many people that need help. Of course I understand the pressure. I I feel that pressure, too. Mm -hmm. You know, I really feel bad when I have a huge backlog of people who've called for for advice or, you know, help with pain or something. But the thing is, what is very important, again, is to enjoy life so that people can actually learn to enjoy it from you. And if it's a few people that you don't get to right away, well, you eventually get to them. So... uh, Again, I try to uh, have my state of mind be the most important thing that I'm uh, taking care of. Darlene, what do you say to the person who says, I have so much to do, I don't have enough time. There's just not enough time in my life. Well, it comes down to your values. What kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to live a life on your deathbed? You finally say, Phew, I got everything done. (laughs) (laughs) Or do you want to say, boy, that was a great life. I'm ready to die now. I did everything. (laughs) Oh, that's a wonderful philosophy. We celebrate today the life of Darlene Cohen, author of Turning Suffering Inside Eye, who died of ovarian cancer January 11, 2011. This interview uh, was actually recorded two years prior to her death just three months ago. An amazing individual, an inspiration to any individual who currently experiences a chronic condition, an illness, or uh, uh, chronic pain. Darlene Cohen is one of the featured authors in the just-released book by Nancy Welsh, Medicine and Meditation. Other authors that you will find featured in her just-released book are Norman Fisher, Ruth Ozeki, Darlene Cohen, John Wiley and Carolyn Milling, Marsha Linehan, Florence Kaplow, Lee Nelson, Sandy Taylor, Paula Arai, Karen Cook, Tim Burnett, David Zucker, individuals who are professors, medical doctors, authors, and persons with incredible wisdom. I've been encouraging Nancy Welsh to finish this book now for several years. I was hoping she'd have it out now two years ago. But she has worked on editing and clarifying and enriching this book so that today, the day when it is actually released and available for purchase, it is a truly incredible and a remarkable book. You can get more information about her book, Medicine and Meditation, by visiting the website by the same name, medicinemeditation.com. 
www.ghanaspeaks.com. I've also had a number of inquiries from individuals, from persons who are wanting to purchase the Parkinson's meditations, which include seven CDs as well as a written transcript of all of the CDs. So it's both for individuals who like to see it as well as for individuals who like to hear it. And many of you know I've been out of stock now for several months, but I was able to locate a company here in Olympia, Washington, who have now finalized the production of a new set of available uh, uh, CDs and the booklet. So it's now available. The Parkinson's Meditation uh, Series is now available. If you're interested, you can go uh, to the main website. You'll find a link there. Or, of course, you can always call me toll-free. I'd love to hear from you, 877-526-4646. If you have a story to tell about what you're doing that's making a big difference in your life, please let me know. I'm always on the lookout for individuals to be guests on my weekly radio show. We air this week in and week out at 3 p.m. Pacific time. And the whole purpose, the mission of doing this is to be able to document the many different things that people are doing that are making a big difference. If you've done anything, you don't have to be symptom-free that is making a difference and you'd like other people to know about it, please let me know about it. We can pre-record an interview with you or you're most welcome to come on the show live and tell your story about what's making a difference to you. Many people are on the road to recovery and they're figuring out ways to get better using different therapies, different modalities, and different approaches. My role at Parkinson's Recovery is to document each and every approach that's actually working for individuals. And of course, that is also documented in the second edition of my book, Road to Recovery from Parkinson's Disease. You'll see there previewed all of the many causes that have been documented that create the symptoms of Parkinson's. And what you'll see is a preview of the many different therapies that we've discovered through our research are making a huge difference in being able to give individuals relief from the symptoms they currently experience. We also answer a variety of questions that I've been asked over the last four years from individuals who want to know very specific uh, uh, answers uh, to questions uh, about various topics pertaining to the symptoms that they currently experience. Call me anytime. There's a toll-free number. Many people are surprised that when I answer, I say, this is Robert. How can I help you? We're not a huge corporation. We are basically an individual who are here to be able to provide support, information, and resources to any and all persons who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's and for individuals who are there to be able to provide support to them, spouses, family members, and friends. So let me know what I might be able to do to support you on your road to recovery, whether you currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's or if you are an individual who is helping someone else return to that marvelous and magical state of full health and wellness. Yes, the body does know how to heal itself. It is indeed a miracle. All we have to do is to recognize that we need to set the intention to make it happen. So you've been connected today to Parkinson's Recovery and Robert Rogers. We will connect with you one week 
from today on the program that we will air, where we will be delving into the area of healing through visual images, through videos, from an individual who is a truly creative artist. So get ready for a, quite a fascinating show that previews for you ways that you can become a person who is able to heal imbalances in your body through engagement with healing videos. Isn't that cool? And that's what's happening on the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the fact you are listening to this radio show today, that you are on the road to recovery. May you have a marvelous week, and I look forward to connecting with you one week from today, Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. Call in, connect. We'd love to hear from you. Good day. Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.